I don't know this month if you've had the, the opportunity to watch any of the Tour de France. Um, I've had the chance to watch a little bit of it. And every single, uh, at least the highlights, seems like every single stage, it's really exciting at the end. You see the full-on sprint, who's going to get the yellow jersey and all that. And of course, the whole thing ends a week from today, I think it is, when they head into Paris and all that. And there's all this energy and excitement around that, although it can sometimes be set by the time it gets there. But a lot of excitement. And today is our last sermon in this six-week sermon series we've been doing. And some of you are thinking it's going to be just as exciting as the end of the Tour de France stage. <laughs> and others of you have read the New Testament are thinking, yeah, those letters, the last chapter, it's just a bunch of little things. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. So um, actually, I want to suggest the former group may be more right. Because Galatians is an interesting book. And there are, there are commentators, many of whom will say that this sixth chapter is the most important. Um, I was reading one, Hans uh, Dietz Betts, who says it's the most important one because it gives us the interpretive um, key, the hermeneutic key to the whole book. So start there and then go back and look at it. And if you look at it that way, and then if you consider that this is this really super potent book that is like the gospel par excellence, it's the one on week one, I think I, I mentioned how Martin Luther used to call this his pet epistle. Because really every single chapter is packed with the gospel. It is, I mean, Romans is a fuller explanation and all these other things. But it is such a tight, compact, um, every part of it seems to just put out the gospel and what's out there. So all of that, the final chapter, most important of this super par excellence kind of gospel. All right, get out the yellow jersey. This, you know, this, we're going to come into an exciting end on this thing. Here's where I want to go today. Um, chapter 6 really has three different movements in it three different groupings of passages. I mainly want to focus on the first and on the third, and really, really on the third. But I want to start with a little bit of a pivot from last uh, chapter, chapter 5. And the reason I'm doing that, starting out with, is because there are lots of commentators who will say that the sixth chapter is the most important, the final section of it, but that all these pieces don't really hang together, like the first part and the second, all these things don't really hold. And there's another group of scholars that will say, yeah, yeah, it does, But to really get that, you need to look at the final verse of chapter 5. And if you were with us last week when Eric preached on that, you know chapter 5 gives the works of the flesh. It gives the the famous fruit of the Spirit. But it ends with uh, verse 26, which says this, Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. And uh, you may think, okay, well, that doesn't sound like a big deal. What's, what's with that? But I think the, the, the word to focus on on this is let us not become conceited. And I'm not a Greek scholar, but, um, but that word conceited has a lot more than what, the way it's translated. John Stott, the great Anglican biblical scholar, um, talks about, even though it's a super old word and you don't really necessarily know what it means when I say it, he says a better word there is vainglory. And, and the idea with this vainglory, so don't be caught up in this vainglory, is, is kind of going in this direction. It's kind of saying we were made to ultimately to worship God and serve Him. And that there's a really profound sense in which we're hardwired to hear those words uh, from Matthew 25, that well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. That that's, that's really the way we're wired. And anything else we do is a vain thing. It's a vain glory. We're glorifying something else that's, that's not a real deal. And when he get, John Stott goes into this, he says, and, and these two bits that he throws in with it, 
in this part about envying is sort of saying, well, we don't have any worth. Look at all these other people. I have no worth, which is not right. Or this competing is the other way of saying, look at me. I want to compete so I can show you that I'm, I can validate how great I am. And that it's none of that. It's coming into this wholeness in Christ in the place it's supposed to be, right? And he, the, this vainglory concept really, if you live in that place, we all have lived in that place at times, for sure, is you end up using people because you're, you're all about trying to find your meaning, your significance, your importance through the people around you. You want people to say you're great or you're loved or you're whatever, and, you're, and you, there's a sense in which at some level you can use lots of people in your lives to try to get to that place. And Paul wants to, wants to get beyond, wants, don't be that way. And so this chapter 6, the pivot is really, he's going to talk about um, sort of two different parts that kind of make it all hang together. He's going to talk about our behavior, and then he's going to talk about some things for us to understand. So those kind of the, those two different pieces. And all of this, as you know, from all these weeks in the series, he's trying to beat down these guys who came from Jerusalem who are trying to tell the Galatians they need to be back under the law. They need to keep all the law and do all this. And he also wants to keep unity. So that's what Paul, Paul's doing. So we head off into chapter 6 with that. And he starts out in this very first segment dealing with the behavior part. And I think Paul, part of what he's saying, the way kind of this holds is the more we can go down this road of sort of right behavior, the more it helps us to get everything else lined up. You know, you've probably heard this in other contexts that sometimes when you're trying to love somebody and you say, man, I don't really feel any love towards them, they'll say, well, start doing some things that are loving. And then the feelings kind of catch up. I think there's a sense in which Paul is, is pushing us to say, have these right behaviors, do these things as part of the step of, of letting everything else kind of catch up. So he starts out in, in verse 1. He says, uh, my friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, like meaning overcome by transgression, either because you didn't know it was a sin or because of infirmity. I've done both. I think most of us have done both. You who have received the Spirit should restore such one in a spirit of gentleness. So this goes back to the fruit of the Spirit. And I love the way some of the ancient writers talk about this passage. Um, St. John Chrysostom, this great preacher from the 5th century, Chrysostom the Golden Mouth is the nickname he got. Um, he says about this passage, it's not about punishment. It's not about judgment. It's about restoration. St. Augustine, more or less the same kind of time period, says this, this passage is making it clear that when, we, when we're trying to help somebody who slipped off the path, it's not about triumph, but about delivery. And again, he says it's not about punishment. So, it's this, so this opening passage is saying we're, we're meant to be a people that love and help people find their footing again and not beat people up with legalism or anything else because that's one of the themes carrying through the book, right? And then we get to the second um, passage in the book, that, uh, verse 2, where he says we should carry one another's burdens, share in one another's, another's burdens, and there is absolutely a whole sermon on that one verse. I mean, totally. We're gonna, I just want to say just a couple words on it. Because many of us, myself included, we want to read this passage. And we want to read it as if it says, let's help those with a burden. But that's not what it says. It says, share one another's burdens. In other words, you're taking on some of the burden. 
I mean, sometimes we get, to, and there's, there's a bit of tension here. Let me, let me explain it for a second. But sometimes I think we get to where we want to say, well, if I can get caught up on my budget, I'm going to give for that or help that person out. Or if I can only get my schedule where I have a little extra time, I'm going to, I'm going to put it there and help them out. And Paul, Paul doesn't say help somebody with their burden. He's saying share. So I think there's part of the burden that's coming in. But now I will be the first to admit, I, I've seen two extremes. Maybe I've done both extremes. We can get to where we say, well, we, well that we should just share everybody's burdens. And particularly those, those in ministry, you can let down your boundaries. And next thing you know, you're having a breakdown. There's, I mean, God calls us to love ourselves. So there's a bit of self-care. So there's got to be something that limits there, right? But on the, you know, on the other hand, we can get to where we say, well, I'm only going to help when, I, when it's not a burden. And I'm going to walk on. So I think there's always going to be this tension of how do we um, not walk away but how do we also love ourselves and take care of ourselves because God wants us to do that? And, and we, want, we want clean rules, and they're, they're not. It's just messy, and we've got to live in that tension and figure out what it is. But Paul is encouraging us to, to live into people's burdens. And then we, um, we go on from there, and I'm not going to dwell on um, verse 3 but a whole lot, but um, I love how in this passage, Paul, um, let me just read it because I realize that the passage that was up there didn't, didn't give you the sights. But if you look at um, verse 3, it says this. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. That's how it starts. And I kind of like the way Paul just kind of throws that out. He's kind of saying you're nothing. You know, right up front, you're nothing. It's a little bit like if you remember the passage where Jesus is talking in Luke 11, where he's going to talk about giving the Holy Spirit and people ask for gifts. But when he goes to explain it, at the end of it, he, said, he says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts. And it's like, you imagine the people that are listening to that go, what, did he just call us evil? And Paul right here is just calling us sort of nothing. And I think at first we're like, what? But then we're reminded that like half of the gospel is recognizing that we are broken and that we're sinful and that we're needy and coming to this place where we approach the cross knowing our need to go back to the Beatitudes our spiritual poverty. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. It's getting to where we know of our need and where we are. And Paul just kind of throws that out in that passage in verse 3. Verses 4 and 5 are two that scholars rarely agree on what, what they mean. So I'm going to admittedly just kind of gloss over those. Verse 6, if you heard it, says pay your preachers and teachers. Thank you guys for doing that. Stewardship season coming up in October. Um, and then we get around to the next segment, which I said I wasn't going to do a whole, a whole lot with. It um, picks up at verse 7 and goes to 10. And in those passages, he says a number of things. The one thing I wanted to just pause on for a minute, this again goes to Paul talking about behavior, is where he talks about doing good. And he says in it, do good to all, but also particularly the, the believers, right? But I love the way he says that we're to do good towards all. Because sometimes people are like, what? You know, I remember... A year or two ago when Pope Francis went on Monday, Thursday and washed the feet of the Muslim prisoners. I mean, there were other prisoners, but the picture I think that made the paper was this Muslim. And uh, he's down there washing them and kissing his feet. And people are like, why is he doing that? And I think part of it was meant to be an icon of it's not just about us washing the feet of the other believers and disciples, but of the world, of being engaging the world. And Paul wants to say that here, do good. Do these good works for all the world. And again, these are all the things drawing us into a behavior that's part of the Jesus way. 
how we're meant to live. And which leads us finally to the final section, which is the most important section of, the final, of this chapter 6, the final part of this thing, where we're kind of asking the question, how do we do all this? Like, okay, there's the behavior. We're going to work on that as part of the Jesus way. But how do we do it? And this section is really important. And Paul wants, I think, to earmark it. So um, at verse 11, if you heard it, he says, yeah, look at this big handwriting. I'm writing this myself. Like the normal mode would have been that Paul would have dictated this to a scribe because they can write better, because they can write smaller. That's just how they do it, and then he would sign it. But this whole last section we're talking about now, Paul is writing it himself. And um, either he can't see well, or his handwriting isn't good, or whatever, but, he's, but he's, I think he's doing it for emphasis. But he's noting, hey, y'all pay attention, I'm writing this myself. I want you to, to get this. And then he launches into it. And um, verses 12 and 13, he goes back to this thing we've been talking about every single week about these people from Jerusalem, sometimes called the Judaizers, or the people who want him to go back under the law. And he's saying to them, starting out, that these people are trying to do this and get you back to circumcision because they want to boast in the flesh. And Paul is like, and wait a minute, they don't even keep all the law. All they want to do is avoid persecution and boast in the flesh. That's all they want to do. That's what Paul says. And then we get to the most important um, passage, in, in my opinion, in all of chapter 6, the one that we took um, the title from today, verse 14. In verse 14, Paul says, you know, I'm not going to boast in anything except for the cross. I'm not going to boast in anything except for the cross. And he goes on, I'm going to unpack that in a second. He goes right on at verse 15 then to say, look, it doesn't matter about circumcision, all the Jews. It doesn't matter about uncircumcised, all the Gentiles. What matters is becoming a new create creature through the cross, through boasting in the cross. That's kind of what he says. And, and this really is, when we talk about this hermeneutic or this interpretive posture, it's all bringing us back to the cross as the central thing of all of Christianity. And Paul really wants us to understand this and to get something about how important it is. I heard a preacher not long back, and this really kind of stuck me because I'd never um, listened to it this way. But he went back and was looking at this passage from uh, Matthew 16. And I'll start to tell the story, you'll remember it. But it's this story where all the disciples are walking down the road. And uh, Jesus says, as they're walking along, well, who do people say I am? And some people say, oh, you're this great prophet. And you're so on and all these different people. And, and then Jesus says, well, who do you say I am? And you'll remember it's this great moment because Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And I think whether he did it out loud or not, I think Jesus is doing a little jig. You know, he's like, yeah. And then notice, but notice what happens immediately after that. Jesus begins to talk about the cross. He begins to talk about how he's going to have to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. That's the immediate thing that goes after they got who he is. But notice, keep noticing this stuff, and this is the part I never really dwelled on, is Peter's like, no, 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 that can't happen. And Jesus' answer is like, I mean, really listen to what he says. Jesus doesn't say to him, Peter, Peter, get behind me. That's nonsense. He says to him, get behind me, Satan. And uh, the preacher I was listening to was saying, 
denying the cross, denying where this is going, and all of this is so important that basically what Jesus is saying in that moment is by denying that, you're actually uh, working on the other team. You're actually doing something evil. And it brings us back to thinking about, okay, this thing of the cross is huge. It's the central thing. And if you look at the Gospels, um, I mean, like the majority of them are about Holy Week, about this passion, about leading up to the cross. I mean, that is the biggest chunk of the Gospels because of how important this is right at the center of everything. And at the same time we say that, I think we have to acknowledge that, that it's something really hard. Paul talks about it being folly, block, being a stumbling block to people. It's something that um, the different times and places people have said that's not intellectual. You know, we can't be intellectual powerhouses if we, we believe in this or that it's cruel or whatever else. But it's the central thing. And unless we really get a hold of the scandal of it, I don't think we've worked through it, right? That the idea that we can live our lives committed to trying to do what's right and good and all these things, and somebody who's lived their whole life in the ditch finds grace, doesn't matter what they've done, and there's a scandal in that. But it's all about this deep grace. And, and that's where Paul's taken us. That's where he's taken us in the cross. And I think that, you know, the final, we're heading into Paris now, if we're keeping with our Tour de France thing. We're, we can see Paris, now we're heading in. But Paul doesn't want us just to have an intellectual assent or understanding of it. At the end of the day, he really wants change. And you get this because right after Paul talked about um, this, you know, this great passage in 14, he goes on to talk about being a new cre- creature. Um, he says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision mean anything. What counts is a new creation. And what he's saying is that um, how, we become a new creature as we lean into this, boasting in the cross. And, we're th- and, and he goes on. There are many places in Scripture in the New Testament where Paul does this. He brags about Jesus. He brags about the cross. And here he's saying, the way you, the way you get to that new creature is to boast about the cross which brings us to the final thing. Okay, if this sermon's going to matter at all on Monday, how, what, what's up with this? And I think we have to pause and ask, what does it mean to boast in the cross? And the word boast, again, I'm not a Greek scholar, but all the scholars I do read say that there's a military sense of this, that it's really a battle cry. You know, and you think about all these, you know, old battle cries before you were about to lead a group into battle. You wanted to pump them up. You would say... You know, our hands are strong, our spears are strong, or whatever. Or the Romans, they apparently used to march in silence, but before they would go into battle, they had this um, guttural battle cry they would do. Or the Confederate army had their rebel yell, same kind of a deal. Or we think about in Texas, after the Alamo, it was remember the Alamo as you headed off into battle in the subsequent battles. Or in in our revolution, that it was going to be freedom or death, right? Liberty or death. Or in the 1984 Ghostbusters, Bill Murray, <laughs> Sigourney Weaver, his battle cry was the chick is toast. <laughs> but this idea that it's, it's a thing where you gather strength from, that's the boast. And it's not about us trying to find our significance and meaning in people, but from deep grace. What Paul is saying is our battle cry, if we get what Jesus paid, we get what Jesus did, if we get how Jesus is saying, my life for others, we become a new creature 
as that becomes our strength and our battle cry. We become where it's not about the law, get that law stuff out of here. It's not even, I think it, it defends us from criticism and problems in relationships in a sense because we're not floored the same way we might be when we go through these trials. Our foundation, our meaning, our deep sense, our power, our strength, all of this comes from the power of the cross and what Jesus did there and what he paid and what he calls us into. That's it. So that's why he's, sent, he's bringing it to that. I'm going to boast about nothing. No accomplishments, relationships. I'm going to boast in the cross. It's the main place, the main thing. And I'm, that's where we're going to end as we head into the final part of this deal. The very final word is the final verse because I think Paul ends it with this. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. It's all about grace that flows from the cross.